Welcome to Passion Life Church. Today we continue this series that we are in. It's called I Am. And we got that name from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, because Moses was uh, tending sheep and God wanted him to deliver the people of Israel. I want to tell you right off the bat that God's plans are always better than your plans. God's plans are always bigger than your plans. And you will enjoy God's plans better than you will even enjoy the plans that you make. But you got to say yes to God's plan. So this the burning bush happens and God begins to speak to Moses and he says, I want you to go back to um, Egypt. And I love Moses's question. He says, well, who am I going to say sent me? Moses's name didn't mean uh, good things in Egypt. It actually, he had killed a Hebrew person. So his reputation was shot, but he says, God, I need to know who sent me. What is your name? Exodus chapter three, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. So this is very important because this is God choosing a name to reveal himself. He did not tell Moses, tell the children of Israel that a force sent you. He did not say to Moses, you know, tell the children of Israel that the big guy in the sky sent you. Our God has a name because he is a personal God. And he said, my name is I am. That is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. And this is interesting. I just want to remind you again, God is revealing this to Moses. This is the way that God is revealing to him. He says, I want you to know that I am Yahweh. It means the existing one. Why is that important? Because you need to know that God is always present. God is always relevant. God is always in the moment and he's always in the future all at the same time. I said all at the same time. He's always, he's always relevant. And that word in the Old Testament is translated Jehovah or Lord, but it is Yahweh. I told you last time that uh, they translated Lord and Jehovah because even the writers felt unworthy to be able to say Yahweh. So they translated it Lord and Jehovah. When you fast forward to the New Testament, the Pharisees were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And I love this because guess what Jesus does? He answers them with a name. John chapter eight, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. So who is the great I am? His name is Jesus. He is your Yahweh. And we looked a little bit more into that definition of Yahweh, and it actually means Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. Would you say that with me? Say Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. Why is that important? Every name that we have been going through comes out of the name of Yahweh, Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. I want you to turn your Bibles today to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. I don't want to bring us up to speed where we're at today. The children of Israel have seen God do plagues in Egypt. The children of Israel have walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. What an incredible, incredible miracle. When they crossed, they were thirsty after about three days. And so there was a river there that uh, was called Mara and it was bitter. And then Moses got a tree and put it in the bitter waters. And that bitter water, the polluted water became pure. It's a type of the cross. The cross can make the polluted sin in our life. It can make you pure. Can I hear a good amen today? And then they were thirsty again. And Moses took his rod and he hit a rock and the rock 
all of a sudden water started to flow out of the rock. When you look at the Old Testament, there's a lot in there about the New Testament because how many of you know who the rock is? It is not Dwayne Johnson. Come on, his, the rock is Jesus Christ. And so how many of you know that out of the rock comes living water, the Bible says, that comes out of him, but it flows through you. The Bible says that out of your belly shall flow rivers of dead water. Rivers of what? Living water. So inside of us is rivers of living water. But Moses struck the rock. Can I just tell you today, people ask, Phil, you know, it's amazing. Moses never went into the promised land. Why? Because God told him to strike the rock once and he struck the rock twice. You say, that's not really a big deal. It is a big deal because when you look at what it represents, Jesus is the rock and Jesus went to the cross. He was struck once. He will not be struck again. He will be only struck once because what he did was good enough because he said it was finished. So Moses struck it again. So there's a big thing there that we have to look at. And so I love Moses because he does a lot right, but um, he hits the rock all of the, the, the water begins to come out. Now they're moving forward and they find themselves in a battle. Have you found Exodus chapter 17, verse 8? It says, then Amalek, then, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Redeem. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us out of men and go out and fight Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God. Somebody say the rod of God. In my hand, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Say this with me. Say, I'm going up. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm going up. So Moses went up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held his hand, uh, when Moses held up his hand, the Israel's... uh, uh, let me read this again. I'm sorry. When Moses helped, held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up, uh, stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady. Say, I want to be steady. Until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial to me and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the altar Jehovah Nisi. That is Yahweh Nisi, for he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Today, I want to talk to you about Jehovah Nisi. We've talked about Jehovah Rapha. Today, we're going to be talking about Jehovah Nisi. This word Nisi means the Lord, our banner. One of the root words of Nisi actually means the Lord, our miracle. The Lord, our miracle. I like looking into the the Hebrew root words because it helps us define what does Nisi mean. It actually means a pole or a banner, kind of like a flag. And the implication is, is that the flag would be lifted. I want you to hear this. And as the flag is lifted, there is a standard that is brought up by that flag. 
We're going to be celebrating the 4th of July here, right? I always, I, I really get moved when I see the American flag. And it is what the flag represents, the American flag. It's amazing because if you've been around here in Marietta, there's guys who in their trucks, they have the flags in the back of their trucks. And no matter what's going on in America, when I see that flag, I'm reminded of our liberty. I'm reminded of our freedom. Come on, somebody. I'm reminded that people gave their lives for our country. But flags can be so moving and they can actually persuade you because people gave their lives for that. So people can see a flag and have so much passion to say, I want to lay down my life for the cause because the flag represents the cause. Can I tell you that the flag also means it, it also can be defined as who you want to be seen as. And it also can be, de- uh, be defined as who you stand up for. If I have an American flag, you know what I stand for when I stand underneath that flag. But let me just say this. The flag also shows who you're committed to. It also shows, it also, it also represents um, who you're committed to and what you are all about. And so for us as Christians, this Jehovah Nissi, what he is saying is that we stand under the Lord God Almighty and his name is Yahweh. So Jesus is your banner. Would you say that with me? Say, Jesus is my banner. So we stand under a name that is Jehovah Nissi, but it is Jesus. And so when we lift up that banner, we're lifting up Jesus. So this is interesting because the children of Israel now come to a place called Redim. And this place, Rechidim, is, uh, means in the Hebrew, it means a place of rest. How many of you could use just a little more rest in your life, right? And so they come to this place that it's a place of rest in the Hebrew. And then Amalek shows up. I want you to notice this. Amalek shows up in the children of Israel's place of rest. Amalek represents evil. He represents the devil. I'm going to tell you what Amalek means in the Hebrew. It means to dwell in the valley. Amalek's name means this, to go down. It's interesting that Amalek comes to the children of Israel in their place of rest to get them out of the place of rest, to get them to a lower level and to go down. But here's the thing about us. We have to understand as Christians that Jesus gives us rest. Can I hear a good amen today? I want to go deeper. Jesus is your rest. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it says, There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. My church family, it doesn't matter the confusion that's going on in the world. It doesn't matter the wickedness that's going on in the world. You and I, as the children of God, can be at a place of rest in the middle of a chaotic world. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're acting. And it's Father's Day, so come on, help a brother out. For there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God, for he that entered into his rest. So we have to enter into that rest. Now he's going to help us and define this. He says, he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own work as God did from him, from his own. He's talking about the Sabbath day. But let us labor therefore to enter into his rest. You have to understand, as the Israelites didn't seem to ever get, that there was an enemy that did not want them to experience the promises of God. If you think that the enemy is going to allow you just to have peace, 
you're severely misguided. The enemy is doing everything to prove that this is a lie in people's lives. And to be honest with you, his struggle so much isn't even really with us. His struggle to hurt you is he knows that when he hurts you, it hurts God's heart. So he wants to hurt you because he knows that if he hurts you, he can try to hurt God. Come on, somebody. And so what he wants you to do is get out of a place of rest. God had a land flowing with milk and honey. But you know what? The Egyptians tried to stop them. Now Amalek, and then you're going to see as they go in that there were other giants. But the Bible says, I have a land of milk and honey flowing for you but you're going to have to take it. You, and so there is going to be times where the enemy is going to try to stop you. And one of the things he's going to try to do is rob you of rest. Let me just tell you a little bit about rest. Because when you're not in rest, you're in dis-ease. Let me say that again. You can be in disease, dis-ease when you're not in a place of rest. And Hebrews tells us that we just read, I'm at rest when I'm ceasing from my own labors and trusting that God is laboring on my behalf. Let me say it this way. He's not talking about quitting your job and just sitting on the beach and resting. What he's talking about is ceasing from your own labors, thinking that in this life, it's going to be by your own intellect, your own will, your own power, and your own strength. You have to at some point cease from that and allow God to labor for you. Let me say it this way. You have to at some point let God fight for you. Now, here's the question. You can fight it. Or you can allow God to fight it. Here's what I love about Moses. Moses sees Amalek. He talks to Joshua. He says, I need you to get some guys. You're going to go in the valley, but I'm going to go up on the hill. Right? So watch this. Amalek's going to try to take people low, but Moses says, I'm going up. I know the devil wants to take me low, but you know what? Even though he wants to take me low, I'm going to go to the top of the hill. I am going up. Say that again. Say, I'm going up. And so Moses gets the rod. Now, what does that rod represent? Well, if you know, think about it. That rod represented the power and the presence of the Lord. Remember, he had that rod and God said, I need you to lay that rod down. God asked Moses, when you're going to go deliver these people, he says, I need, what do you have in your hand, Moses? He says, I have this rod. He said, I want you to lay it down. And what's interesting is that he lays it down and it turns into a snake, and Moses freaks out. Whoa, 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 whoa. And he runs. He runs from what God had put in his hand that had power. And most people don't really realize that what God has already put in your life and in your hand, your gifts, if you use it for God, it's scary to most people. Because he's like, whoa, and he puts it down, and he starts running from the very power that God wanted to use in his own life. But I love Moses because then he starts to begin to realize what that rod really is about. And you see, it's not called the rod of Moses anymore. Now it's called the rod of God. And I I hope that helps you today because God has given you gifts and those gifts are for him, for you to use. Today, God has anointed me. I am anointed by God. I am not Phil. I'm up here, Phil, giving a lecture. I'm a man that is allowing myself to be used and anointed by God. Can I hear a good amen today? And so you have to understand what you have in your hand. But that rod brought plagues on Egypt. That rod parted the Red Sea. That rod struck a rock and in the the desert and water flowed out of it. 
So that rod represented the power and the presence of the Lord. So Moses lifts up the staff. Here's why I was telling some people this week, when you read the Old Testament, you have to remember we are living after the cross. So there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are type and shadows of the New Testament. You say, Pastor Phil, why are you preaching on some guy who's going up a hill holding up a stick? Because you have to understand what the rod represents. Because what the rod represents to Moses, Jesus is to us today. Come on, let me say that again. What the rod represents to Moses right? Jesus is to us today. That is, represents Jesus. Remember, he is our banner, but it also represents the power and the presence of God. So Moses knew if I'm not going to go low with Amalek, here's what I need. I need a divine intervention. Moses knew this. Moses was a smart guy. I like Moses a lot because he realized we were slaves. They've never been trained in battle. These are slave people, right? And some people ask, well, where did they even get the weapons to fight against the Amalekites. Well, a lot of theologians believe that when the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea, all of their weapons washed ashore and the Israelites got those weapons. But what good is a weapon in the hand of an untrained man? Right? Say divine intervention. So Moses goes, okay, I'm going to go up on the hill and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift Jesus up. I am going to lift up the rod, the power and the presence of God. And here's what we need to understand. God will intervene in your life and in your battle when you lift up the name of Jesus as your banner, when you lift him up. So by lifting up the rod, here's what Moses was saying. Moses was making a declaration over this battle. He was making a declaration over the enemy. What is that declaration? Hey, Amalek, I know your name. You may know my name, but I am not here fighting in my name. I am going to raise up the name of Jesus that is higher than your name, more powerful than your name, more powerful than my name. So when he lifted up the banner of Jesus, he was saying, I'm not fighting in my own power and in my own authority. I come to you in the name of Jesus. That's very, very powerful. Because oftentimes we want to fight in our own name. And that's the goal of Amalek. The goal of Amalek is to get you out of the, your position of rest. Resting is trusting in God. That's really what resting is. Is you just trust in God that he's going to fight the battle for you. He wants to take you out of that place of rest. And he wants to bring you low. In my church family, one thing you can do as a Christian you can lift up the name of Jesus. You can lift up the power and the presence of God. You can lift up the power of Yahweh, your redeemer, your deliverer and savior. But I want you to notice what Moses does. And this is the Old Testament. He gets up on this hill and he raises his hands. He raises up the rod. Can I tell you what Moses is doing? Moses is surrendering the battle to the Lord. I put in my notes today, a surrendered heart always results in lifted hands. Somebody comes and puts a gun to your back, you're not going to go, hey. You surrender. And so lifted hands represents a submitted heart. And so here's the reality. You and I, 
in the battles of life are going to have to surrender those battles to the Lord. Now, why don't people surrender their battles to the Lord? Some people, number one, don't know that God wants to fight for them. And I want to tell you today, God wants to fight for you. And let me just say this. He's a much better fighter than you ever will. Yes, he gives us dominion. Yes, he gives us authority. But I want to tell you something. He wants to fight for you, and he knows how to fight. He knows how to defeat the enemy. He wants to fight for you. Some people won't surrender their battle because they want the credit. They want the credit for the victory. They want the glory. They want to tell you how great they were. They want to tell you, well, go ahead. Go ahead with your bad self then. But you know what? When God fights the battle, he wants the glory. He wants you to testify about it, but he wants to be able to show the world what he can do in you and through you. But at the end of the day, the glory is not for us. The glory is for him. Can I say here a good amen today? Now, some people don't surrender because they like pity from other people. I talk to people who are constantly in a battle and they're always talking about it. And it's a way for them to get pity from people. It's a way for them to get attention from people. I'm going to tell you something. When you play that game, we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says that God told told Moses, I want to eliminate the remembrance of Amalek. I, want, I don't want you to play with him. I want to, him to be utterly defeated. Listen, if praise attracts God, self-pity attracts the enemy. And you can have a pity party if you want to. Do you want to come to my pity party? It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. I'll cry if I want to. Maybe I won't invite you to my pity party because it's all about me. Oh, you don't understand, Phil. I, my life's so broken. My life is just, I know, but it's time to go up instead of stay down. Do you want to go up or do you just want to sit here and complain and you want people to go, oh, I'm sorry, brother. Or do you want to get up? Do you want to go up? Do you want to defeat the enemy? Because the Bible says that God will fight for you. Now, some people don't surrender the battle because they just don't realize that there's something deeper than the surface that, that what they see. They have a battle at work or they have challenges at work and they don't realize that battles are more spiritual than they are physical. Battles are more spiritual than they are natural. I love that Moses is going up and he says, okay, I see the physical. I see what's going on. I see the weapons, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put my hands up in the air. I'm going to go up to the mountain and I'm going to go spiritual. I'm not just going to stay in the natural, right? And so here's the reality. Moses surrendered the battle to the Lord. And it's funny because we say this all the time. We say, God is fighting for me. Is he fighting for you? Have you surrendered the battle to him? Here's one indication that you have not surrendered the battle to the Lord. If you surrendered the battle to the Lord, there should be no worry in your life. The reality of it is, is we say, we'll come to church and the battle is the Lord. Giovanni, see, fight your battles. Oh, that was good, Pastor Phil. And then I get on Clinton Keith Road and I'm full of worry. You know what you did during worship? You gave him the battle. And then right when you walked out of church, you took it right back. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching about you. That's what we do. If you are in worry, 
God is not fighting your battle. You are fighting it. That's why you have anxiety and worry. But today, if you will lift your hands and surrender your heart and say, God, you are fighting this battle for me. Guess what? God will do it. He is faithful. But can I just say this? Because I think it needs to be said. There's a little bit of pride in that when we start worrying because we actually think that we can do better than God. Let me just tell you something about worry. Worry does nothing for your life. Nothing. The Bible says that you, it doesn't even cause you to grow. It can, there's nothing that worry can do. The only thing worry can do is open the door for the enemy. You do not want to have open doors in the middle of your battle. You want every door closed. And you want to stay at a place of surrender. And the Bible says this, Moses' posture, he got up, was a posture of complete surrender. When you think about him lifting up his hands high in the air, that's a person who is totally surrendered to the Lord. Let me just say this, Moses was smart enough to say, I'm going to go to war with worship. Because that's really what surrendering is in worship, is that we come and we acknowledge that God is God and we are not. Come on, somebody. We, we acknowledge him. We say, God, your faithfulness, your peace. I don't want to just live with my own thoughts. I acknowledge you today. I submit today. I release everything. I cast my care on you. I'm going to worship you. Worship is a posture of surrender. That's pretty smart for Moses to go right up to the battle and just surrender it all to God, lifting up his hands. So please don't tell me you're in worship like this. My church family, we fight our battles by worshiping the Lord. Let me say it this way. We fight our battles by surrendering it to the Lord. That's why worship is so important. Can I just encourage you to get here for worship? It's not the time where we get our coffee and we get our bread. It's time to come in and we're going to battle. Come on, somebody. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to sing our song. We're not just going to come in and go, hey, what's going on? No, it's a posture of worrying, warring with worship. Come on, you got to do it. And here's what's powerful about coming to church and doing it. When we all do it together, man, faith fills this room. Miracles can happen. Come on, somebody. Things can be, and, and, and wisdom can be imparted to you. Oh, I'm, I'm all about private worship. I, I, my heart is surrendered every day. Sometimes I, I get the temptation just to get it back and get worried. But I'm telling you, I surrender. But something happens when we come in this room together and man, the worship team is going and we're all surrendered. The miraculous can happen. Can I hear a good amen today? So let me say it this way. Moses prioritized the spiritual, the presence of the Lord, not just the physical. See, there was a direct correlation between what Moses did and what happened in Joshua's life. Let me say it this way. Moses represented, the, uh, Joshua represented the physical. Moses represented the spiritual. Whatever Moses did in the spiritual had a direct correlation what happened in the physical. Man, I feel devil's kicking my butt. Really? The Bible says that our enemy is totally defeated. The enemy is totally defeated. Your battle isn't really with him. You know what your battle is? To stay surrendered. Come on, Phil, preach it. 
Your battle is to lift your hands when you don't feel like it. Your battle is to come to church when you don't. That's your battle because we have a defeated enemy. I'm not going to let a defeated enemy defeat me. Why are so many people down in the valley? Why are so many? You know why? Because we have other things. Your battle is your distraction. Your battle is you have the wrong priorities. But Moses gets up in the mountain and says, I will prioritize God in this moment. I will lift my hands no matter what's going on, whether I feel like it or not. That's your battle. Because I'm telling you, my church family, if you can get a posture of surrender, surrendering is when there is a releasing of God's power. That's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he may increase. My challenge with Phil is Phil to decrease because the enemy is already defeated. Come on, if you believe that, give him a great round of applause. But what happens is instead of worshiping and going supernatural, we look at the natural. We look at the physical right? Most people are not winning the battle because they're solely focused on the physical. And the Bible tells us that we're not warring with physical things. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Everybody say, that's seen. Come on, say, that's seen. The flesh and blood is seen. That's not what we wrestle. But it says, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual weaknesses. Where? In high places. Amalek represented evil. So in order to address the evil, you must address the spiritual reality behind the physical expression that you're seeing. I want to say that again. In order to address the evil, you must address the spiritual reality behind the physical expression of what you're facing. My church family, I'm going to say something to you. Sickness is evil. Oh, I want to try that again. Sickness is evil. And it's coming against your life so you don't live in the promises of God. And you need to see it that way. It's not just pain. It's not just a diagnosis. It's evil because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy from your life. So you should get mad. I get mad when I get the sniffles. I'm like, how dare you, devil? Right? Because that's how it starts. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going on? Get a COVID test. Come on, what's going on? It's funny how we'll say go get a COVID test, and we realize that this could be something that could really hurt. It's evil trying to come at your life to rob you of your place of rest, to rob you of the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. I want to have a zero sickness policy at our church. If you're here today and you have sickness, right after service, we're going to lay our hands on you. And you will be healed in Jesus' name. Can I hear a good amen today? So Moses raises up the banner. And as long as Moses had his hands up, as long as Moses was worshiping, And he kept the presence of God in his life by pressing in, lifting up the presence of God. As long as he was lifting up Jesus, guess what? Joshua was winning. There was a direct correlation. And when Moses' hands began to get tired, the Bible says that they began losing. So Moses 
brought Aaron and her next to him. And they sat Moses down and Aaron and her began to lift Moses's up, Moses' hands up. So when they lifted up his hands, they were beginning to win the battle again. And if he could just keep his hands up, my church family, guess what? They would have a guaranteed victory. If you will continue to exalt Jesus and lift him up, our Jehovah Nisi, I'm going to tell you, God has never lost a battle. And there is guaranteed victory. Can I hear a good amen today? Guaranteed victory. And you know what? Let's be honest today. Sometimes our hands do get tired. Sometimes we get tired. That's why you need Aaron and her in your life. That's why I'm hoping that this church will be an Aaron and a her to your life. That when you come in, this church will help you to lift your hands when you get tired. Because that's the reality. As long you will stay positioned in worship and you will stay positioned in a place of surrender, you will win. See, I love that Moses had people in his life that wanted him to win. I'm tired of people that are in my life that don't want me to win. I need to get rid of the Amaleks in my life, the people who want to bring me low. I don't want to go low anymore. And if you want to go low, I love you, but I can't stay here. So don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I'm out. But I'm not going low anymore. And I want to be a church to this community that we help people go up, that we lift up your hands. Dads, that we lift up your hands. Moms, that we lift up your hands. Youth, we lift up your hands. Why? So you can be in a position where the power is released through your life and every enemy that you face is defeated. Come on, somebody. Every enemy that you face is defeated. And your challenge and my challenge is to keep lifting up the banner of Jehovah Nisi. You know, I was thinking about when we lift up Jesus. You know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But you and I sit in a great position as children of God. What do you mean, Pastor Phil? Well, Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, this is why we lift up Jesus. It says, and it's talking about Jesus. It says, and what is the exceedingly greatness of his power towards those who believe? How many of you believe today? I said, how many of you believe today? According to the power of his mighty power, watch this, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and is seated him at the right hand of the father. So where is Jesus seated? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. Right? So watch this. It says, and he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the father in heavenly places. Watch this. Far above principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all the church, which is his body and the fullness of him. So the Bible tells you and I that we don't wrestle against 
flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. But watch this. Where does Jesus sit? Jesus sits not above, but high above every principality and every power. When we raise up his name, do you know that the Bible says that as he is, where is he? He is at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says as he is, so are we in this world. I don't know if you're going to get this, but I'm going to help you. If he is seated high above all principalities and power and you, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. That means I am seated where he is seated and he is not seated lower than principalities and powers. He is seated far above principalities and powers. So you and I are seated where he's seated. So when I lift him up, what I'm doing, I'm lifting up the name of Jesus who is far above any enemy. This is why Amalek comes to get you out of your position of where you're seated. This is why Amalek comes to try to get you out of your position in Christ to start you getting into the arena where he can fight you in the natural and in the physical. And let me just tell you this, if he fights you in the physical, you will lose. That's his whole goal. But if you understand, and that's what today's about, I came to raise the banner. I came to raise the standard. I came today to raise Jehovah Nisi to remind you that you are seated with Christ and that he is our banner and he is far above principalities and powers and whatever you're facing, he is a defeated enemy. So that's why we lift up our hands and we surrender. And as we surrender, the power of God flows through us. And as we surrender, everything in the physical begins to change. And the more that we surrender, the more the physical realm will be affected by what's going on in the spiritual. And your challenge is to stay focused on the Lord, no matter what the battle is. I'm going to close with this. You know, the Bible says that God wanted Amalek, the name, his name to be erased. That tells me God wants total victory. My church family, you should not settle for partial victory. Hear me. I'm not saying we're not grateful for partial victory. I understand that the Bible says that when the lepers, when they got healed, it says as they went, they began to have healing. I'm saying thank God for that. But don't just stop. Begin to say, I want total victory. Jesus didn't defeat the enemy partially. It was a total defeat. Can I hear a good amen today? It was a total defeat. But if you read on, the Amalekites constantly, constantly attacked the children of Israel. Everybody look at me. The Bible says that God told Saul to kill all of the Amalekites. All of them. All of them. And guess what? Saul wasn't obedient. And he let them live. He let the king live. And you know what? They struggled. And so many times we're allowing things to live in our life that God says you need to put death to. Not because he's mean, because you don't play with the devil. And the devil is defeated. But I'm telling you this, my church family, because God's idea of victory is total victory, total healing. Again, I'm not saying we don't give thanks in the middle. I'm not saying we don't praise in the middle. But what I'm saying is don't settle for half of a victory. Don't settle for a 99% victory. Only say, 
I am going all the way 100% victory in the name of Jesus. Can I hear a good amen today? So I want our church to be an Aaron and a her for you. I want you to find people in this place that will help you keep your hands up, help keep you focused. That's why we text you. Hey, we haven't seen you. Hey, that's why we care about you because guess what? Your hands may be getting heavy. We're not texting you because we're, we're nosy. Oh, let me say this, please. We're not texting you because we have nothing else to do with our time. We are texting you because we understand the importance of you keeping your hands raised. Because when you win, we can all win. And if I'm winning, I'm going to help you win. If you are weak in my strength, I'm going to help you have some strength by holding up your hands. Think about how simple that is. I know it's easier said than done. Just be focused on the Lord. Stay in his presence. Live. And when I say stay in his presence, I'm talking about pursuing him. I'm not talking about he leaves us. I'm talking about that lifting up, making a conscious decision to exalt him and worship and surrender to him. Let me read this. It's interesting because the Israelites won. Joshua won. But the battle wasn't decided by their skill. wasn't decided by their power. Rather, the key was Moses' posture with the staff of God. Could he keep it raised or would it be lowered? Could he keep it raised or would it be lowered? The battle wasn't won by how the armies fared in the valley. It wasn't tied to their education. It wasn't tied to their finances. It wasn't tied to their notoriety. Instead, it was directly tied to what Moses did on the mountain. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so Joshua represents the physical, the physical things we do, right? We can't be worshiping all the time. Say, Lord, I'm believing for a job, but in the physical, never fill out an application. Come on, somebody. But it's both of them. You and I are in a physical world, but I want to remind you our fight is not with flesh and blood. And so, we have to understand that. And as long as Moses stayed in the posture of worship and surrender, the battle shifted in the natural. The battle sh- Isn't that easy to get so focused on the natural thing and who's saying what and what's going on here and all that? And that's where we begin to put our focus and our energy instead of just shutting our door and lifting our hands and say, God, I surrender Johnny to you. Lord, I surrender Mary to you at work. Lord, I just, because how many of you know there's a battle going on that's spiritual? Pastor Phil, well, how long do I have to stay in this posture until you win? Until you win. In my church family, when God is fighting with you, there's a guaranteed victory. God said, I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven you close your eyes for just a moment? You know, you may find yourself in a difficult scenario right now that you understand. Now, it it requires divine intervention. So here's what God does. God reveals a name to you today. There is a name for every situation that you're facing. Isn't that amazing how God does that? Every situation He wants to reveal himself in a name. And so today, if you're in a battle, I want to just encourage you to lift up the banner of Jehovah Nisi today and let him fight your battles. 
Let him fight the disease for you. Because the Bible says you are already healed. Let him fight that depression. Not just you, but him. He is the Lord, our banner. Today, I want to raise the flag. I want to remind you of who you are. I want to remind you of your position in Christ. Because position determines perspective. When I was up in the plane this week, 36,000 feet, you look down, everything looks small. Why? Because position determines perspective. And I want to remind you today, you are seated with Christ over all principality, over all powers. And the enemy is defeated in your life. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.